You're listening to Radio Ed, a University of Denver podcast. We're your hosts, Lauren Fultenberg, Alyssa Hurst, and I'm Nicole Militello. For so many, this past year has not been easy. And for this episode, we wanted to specifically focus on mothers during the pandemic. Recent census numbers are revealing a clear picture of what's been going on. Around 3.5 million mothers living with school-aged children left active work last spring, switching to paid or unpaid leave, losing their job, or just leaving the job market altogether. Overall, that's a much greater decrease for women than we saw with men. In a society where, on average, women typically carry a heavier burden of care work, like unpaid household responsibilities and childcare, the sudden shutdown of daycares, schools, and workplaces created a situation that was nearly impossible to juggle for many. And new data shows that non-white single moms were hit the hardest. We wanted to talk about some of these struggles with the director of the Gender and Women's Studies program at the University of Denver and a mom herself, Lindsay Fights. In preparation for this, yeah. thank you for having me on, by the way. Um, I talked to a couple of my working mom friends. I was like, what would you want me to say? And ironically, or maybe not so ironically, uh, in one conversation, our kids were screaming, so we couldn't finish. The other was a text message, and she was like, I'm too tired from work. Like, let's try to catch up another time. And the third was like, oh, I've got a work call. I can't talk. And so I was like, whoa, this is, yes, that's it. Like, that that could be the podcast right there, is mm-hmm. that, um, like, what is the message that we're just all getting pulled in five million directions? Moms being pulled in different directions is just a fraction of this conversation. She shares how important it is to acknowledge motherhood comes in all different forms, and we first need to start with setting the stage of where we were at prior to the pandemic. There's a couple main things I think you have to acknowledge before COVID, and that is that the nature of mothering and work has already been pretty precarious. Um, And I say that because... Um, I don't know if sometimes people separate mothering and the different types of work. So I, I think most of the time I'm talking about professional women, um, but that mothering and working doesn't have like a singular path, but it's very much rooted in issues of class and issues of race and issues of education, not to mention issues of married moms, straight couples who have maybe amazing male partners who are stepping up and doing amazing work. Or maybe they have amazing male partners where they haven't had time to have a conversation. So great point. But the main stage, you know, pre-COVID, we know that care work is hard. We know that it's invisible. We know that uh, we've got single moms out there. We've got professional moms. Um, and we know that the wage gap is real. So like before COVID, we already know the intersectional sort of um, argument that it's not just 82 cents to a dollar, that is significantly less for Hispanic and black women. I think the motherhood penalty has been out there for a while. And for listeners who don't know that, um, there's, you know, the motherhood penalty and the fatherhood premium associated with work outside the home. So when moms stay home with sick kids or have to miss that important networking happy hour because um, some so-and-so has to be picked up from soccer practices, there's a ding that happens. And maybe it's not explicit, um, but we call that the motherhood penalty box, right? Where like workplace culture and family life balance uh, tends to sort of come out negatively for mom. Whereas for a lot of men, they get looked at as like amazing dads because they have to step out and go get their daughter from soccer. So, so all of these things. So there's gender roles, there's the workplace culture that I think sort of 
without meaning to often penalizes working moms. And then there's sort of like intersectional wage gap stuff. So all of this exists, not to mention just an insane amount of money and resources and a very fragile daycare system. And so all of this is sort of mixing before COVID and that drum roll is the stage where then March comes. And I think we can say that we've now seen um, all of those disparities and fragilities really um, kind of exploded. Can you point to anything specific like over the past year that has really stuck out of those disparities that have really been exasperated the most? Yeah, I think when we think about job losses, who uh, had to step out of work to take care of kids, you know, daycare shut, support systems, maybe grandma or aunties were watching kids a few days a week. But when people got locked down, um, moms more than dads, and I know dads were impacted too, but more moms ended up staying home and either losing wages if they were in hourly wage jobs or stepping back from sort of big professional assignments. So while professional women maybe didn't lose jobs, um, I would argue maybe lost some opportunity and some traction. So when I think about this issue, I think about like just the big giant slide that women took different, you know, different levels for different women. But like when you cumulatively think about lost earnings, lost career advancement, lost jobs, um, not to mention just like, like potential, like getting COVID or being in a family where you're exposed. Um, if there was traction, it certainly stopped. And I obviously know um, it's not the same for all women. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that dads were affected too research shows and anecdotally that it tended to be moms um, navigating that. Yeah. And I think that like you were saying, you know, we've seen them take maybe like a wage hit or having to step back for responsibilities, but a lot of working moms were forced just to like leave their job altogether. Mm -hmm. totally. We really haven't seen, you know, those jobs come back. So what long-term implications does it have for women in the workforce? It has like, it, yeah, some, some, I want to say everything from wage earnings, like I just mentioned, um, people have been tracking like home ownership, retirement, poverty. I mean, like we, food scarcity. Like if you are a, a single mom and you lose your hourly wage job, I mean, if you talk to food banks, you talk to diaper banks. Um, again, so it's the, the gamut of, um, so when I say lost wages, it's not just like, oh, women are losing a million over a lifetime in a professional white collar setting. It's like, no, women can't feed their kids right now. Some women. Um, yeah, the home ownership and the retirement one was like on one side and then the, like not being able to feed your kids and having to take them out to a food bank is on the other. I don't know any of my working mom friends that have had space to like think about where their professional futures are going. Like that just stopped with COVID. I think it's like, have I showered? Like, have I, like, can I get myself to my Zoom meeting on time um, and not cry today because XYZ has happened or my childcare, like my third nanny fell through and my mom can't help me because like she's older and you know what I mean? Like villages disappeared overnight. And so um, I don't know. I think that's the part that makes me really sad when I stop and think about it is there's the real life consequences, but then there's the imagining your future as a professional mm -hmm. woman. And I just think people in my world are so overwhelmed right now that they're having a hard time imagining what their professional non-mom life is going to look like because momming is taking up 
so much space right now. What would you say about what the pandemic has taught us about the reality of where gender roles stand in 2020? I think it shows that they exist. <laughs> They're still real. Um, and I think it's teaching us that care work, which we've all been relying on, anybody that has a kid in daycare or a kid under five before they're in kindergarten, how undervalued, underpaid, and how fragile it is like when it goes away. I just think it's highlighting the things we thought that we kind of had under control. I think this pandemic certainly shows that, uh, especially if you have little kids uh, that require full-time care, um, how hard that is and how much value um, that we should put on the people doing that. And so one economist, Betsy Stevenson, told the New York Times, COVID took a crowbar into gender gaps and pried them wide open. And so she worries about having a generation who's watching, you know, working moms struggle right now and maybe right. making them just not want to be parents at all. What do you think about that? I mean, I'm laughing, but in this like sick, sad way over here. Um, yes, I think she's right. Um, I think it's not even just future generations. I personally know people, uh, couples and single women who are thinking about kids and they are looking around, they're looking at me saying, no, nope, it's, um, I'm going to find a way to be a mom. I can mother in different ways. Um, rather than have a, a child. But I think um, younger generations in particular are looking around now and they see um, how expensive it is. They see, hey, you know, all these women that said that you could be a surgeon or you could be president and you could have your family. I, I think younger folks are, are cluing in that that might have been a myth or if not a myth, it's been sugarcoated a little bit. And so um, you know, I think you compound that with climate change and not having enough water and uh, hearing people talk about how daycare is more than their mortgage. Um, it's kind of heartbreaking because um, I obviously I'm a mom. I love my kid. I can't imagine not being a mom, but I can also completely understand um, why someone looking from the outside would be like, this is almost like impossible to do right now. Yeah. And so the New York times did, you know, this big series on working moms during the pandemic. And so one of the articles was called how society has turned its back on mothers. This isn't just about burnout. It's about betrayal. Mm -hmm. And the author in that piece argues that mental health burnout that mothers are experiencing is because of a lack of a support. And that was a societal choice. So, you know, when we're having this conversation, what could we have done differently a year ago to better support working moms during this time? Well, I mean, luckily there's just really smart policy folks uh, who just put out a nice 53 page uh, it's the Institute for Policy, Women's Policy Research, if any policy wonk heads want to look at it. Uh, but they're saying the things that I think um, researchers and feminists have known for a long time, invest in childcare, uh, invest in healthcare, invest in the minimum wage, invest in workplace flexibility, invest in policies that prioritize and um, sort of demonstrate the awareness that um, having a family and being a caretaker, whether that's an aging parent or a new baby, requires a certain amount of understanding of the institutions that we're part of, as well as as a, as a society. So I don't know, I always like to think in World War II, if we could have daycare while women went to factories, and that was like a national legislative policy, like there was a will, there was a need, and it happened. Um, it gives me both hope and also like makes me a little sad to know that like we can do this. Like I, I, I think 
as a society, we can do this and it's been done before. We just have to decide our values. <laughs> and if we're gonna say that we value gender equity uh, and working moms and supporting families, we have to recognize that little people and old people have traditionally been under the domain of women's care. And so like, how are we gonna do that? I do think that there are some policy oriented specifics that um, I'm more optimistic are now kind of coming to the national conversation. So, mm -hmm. and we talked about this a little bit earlier, you mentioned it, just how the struggles within working moms, the struggles aren't equal for everyone. So right. can you talk a little bit more about what segments of working moms were impacted the most by this pandemic? Yeah, definitely low wage, low income women. So I want to be really clear. This doesn't mean that professional women haven't had it uh, rough, but you know, if you have a house, if you have the ability to still buy food, if you're not taking your kids to a food bank, um, if you have a job, if you are not in the hospital with COVID, uh, then you're, you're in better shape than, um, unfortunately a lot of women. So I think like when you look at the numbers of, of, people who lost their job, women, like during the pandemic, mm -hmm. um, women were four times more likely and it wasn't necessarily professional women. It was women in the service industry, women working in retail, women working, uh, again, hourly wage jobs, you know, and when jobs came back, right. And this is the thing, when jobs came back, not all those women came back and they had a lot, a lot of that had to do with childcare. Um, so if jobs came back, but you didn't have a place to take your kid and like, I can bring my son well, I mean, he's at home, uh, but like, you know what I mean? Like I, I've made my motherhood visible on this campus. Um, most women can't do that. Like, uh, do you know what I mean? And so I think it's really important to note that um, the, the costs and consequences um, have definitely been bigger for low wage, low income women. And so as life slowly starts to return to some sort of, you know, new normal, what mm -hmm. concerns do you have as we move forward for working moms or moms in general? We'll just keep trucking and we won't use this as an opportunity to learn and grow, not just as like moms, like, but as a society. So my fear is that there's going to be such a rush to like go back to normal. And the truth is for a lot of working moms, normal wasn't really equal. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think um, for getting the lessons and the visibility that's coming out of here is, um, oh, that would be such a missed opportunity. So I'm hoping employers and government and local communities are taking, taking note. And so what are maybe some possible solutions or ways that we could address those damages and the mental health toll as we're moving forward? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, there's sort of external big public policy stuff, um, that I think is happening. I mean, I don't know if it's going to happen, but everything from like how to figure out how to help people with daycare costs, how to give early childhood educators um, a, a living wage and to say that we value what you do because we're, we're giving you our children for, for so like, you know, for 40 hours a week sometimes or more for some folks. So, I mean, again, I think there's like structural policy-based things, uh, you know, paid family, sick leave, um, all of that good stuff. I also hope, and this doesn't really apply to my family situation, but that like on an interpersonal level that people, if they have time, if they have energy, who have partners, if you are living in a family where there are two parents, um, 
that have real conversations about what equity looks like and um, whose job, whose career, who's going to skip the meeting to take the kid or to just help them with their online schooling. And, um, you know, I think that's kind of like a feminist pipe dream. Like people in my circle, I think do that, but I don't think most people do. I think they're too busy. And so we default to gender roles. And can you speak a little bit to how other countries have handled the pandemic compared to the U.S. when it comes to supporting working women? I do think it's pretty safe to say that um, any country that has invested more in a social safety net for early childhood, uh, where there is um, daycare, preschool, um, where there's a bigger social safety net, women tend to fare better there because some of that burden um, a lot of that burden is shared. And so it's not just a private family matter of how we're gonna take care of our aging grandma and our newborn baby. Um, it, it is actually a sort of a social contract um, where there's resources. Um, and I just don't think we're quite there yet as a country. We've talked so much about just the struggles, but I also think the pandemic highlighted how resilient women are, not that yeah. it needed to, or it should have, you know, right. but um, right. it did. And yeah. I was just wondering, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think people are doing the impossible every day. Um, I think moms are doing the impossible. And again, I don't want to generalize all moms, but, um, you know, before I became a mom, um, a good friend told me like, moms are not allowed to get sick. Like, that's just like, until they're in the ER, like moms, that's, that's what you're signing up for. And boy, like, um, I think she's right. I mean, you know, and I think women have supported other women. I think there've been amazing male allies who have supported women, I think compared to 50 years ago and how like, you know, fatherhood looks really, I think for a lot of men quite different. Um, and so, yeah, the resilience part, I, I think we can't underestimate and we should all be really proud of ourselves. I do think people found communities in different ways too. Social media is not my go-to, but boy, having a group of other single moms, um, daycares that are open, daycare closures, nanny recommendations. Um, I see people in my neighborhood posting about food banks. I see other neighbors like soliciting food for food banks and diapers. So, um, you know, that part of my heart and spirit gets a little warm thinking that like, okay, there is an acknowledgement that like we do need each other. Um, and so that part I think has been like, I hope a lesson that we can all remember too moving forward. To read the new U.S. Census numbers or for more information on mothering during the pandemic, visit our show notes at du.edu slash radioed. Alyssa Hurst is our executive producer, James Swearingen arranged our theme, and Tamara Chapman is our managing editor. I'm Nicole Militello, and this is Radio Ed.